This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. On this Christmas Eve day, we're thinking of holiday celebrations and giving, not just to family and friends, but to charities as well. There is just a week left to make a charitable donation count toward your 2022 tax return. But there's also been a trend in recent months revealing that Canadians are making fewer contributions this year, what with the ongoing 40-year high inflation. On Monday, Libby asked our Zoomer squad if older Canadians are contributing toward this trend or if they are being generous as always. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Peter Mugrich is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. And David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. The last year before COVID, I'm using the same database we use for a lot of our stuff. So the year before COVID, um, 64% of those 65 and over had made a donation to a Canadian charity in the previous 12 months. So 64%. The most recent survey, uh, winter of 2022, it's down to 55%. So it's a drop of eight points. But it's still higher than any other age group. All the other age groups dropped as well when you compare pre-COVID to post-COVID. So although the numbers have dropped from 4.1 million to 3.9 million, so about 200,000 less, it still is the highest participation rate, if you will. More people over the age of 65, a higher percentage, donate to charity in spite of COVID. In fact, it's 30% higher than the Canadian average as a whole. I would say if I'm a charity, I'm saying, okay, maybe my absolute number of donors is going to go down, but this is still the sweet spot. This is still the group that I've got to rely on. Well, yeah, it's not just the absolute number of donors. It's the absolute number of money. Right. And, and, uh, <laughs> That's right. In, in 2020, um, I spoke with uh, one of the organizers at Charity Intelligence, and she's for, for a story I did online, and, and she said... Um, in that year, $17 billion was given to Canadian charities. $10 billion of that came from people over 65. So they not only make up the most people giving, but they also give the most money. So it's a huge impact this age group has on charities. Is it just that, you know, the, you know, the, the theory is that by this point in life, you've uh, dealt with your mortgage, you've dealt with your children, though that's not true anymore, um, <laughs> and you have the money to do it? I, I'm just wondering if, if it's also a matter of upbringing and, and if younger, younger, I mean, when we were growing up, we were taught that this was a very important thing to do. Right. And I'm wondering if that's gone by the wayside to, you know, for some people. Definitely. It's, it's you know, the the, uh, the representative I spoke to said it was a generational thing. It's sort of, it's baked into this generation that they give, you know. And uh, 
I, I, I couldn't speak for the younger generations, but certainly for, for uh, you know, those born, you know, with parents of the de- from the Depression or during, during the war years or whatever would know bad times and they would know the importance of charity and it's stuck with them since. You know. Bill, what's your take on this? Well, um, as you know, I was the CEO of a, of a health charity prior to coming to, to CARP. And one of the things we, we knew uh, then, and it's been happening for the last 15 or 20 years, is that the uh, participation rate and the giving rate of the younger generations is going down. And if it wasn't for the fact that uh, Canadians over 55 are giving more to uh, charities, we'd be in a worse place than we are uh, today. The ones who are still not struggling quite as badly are the local um, poverty and focused group uh, charities in uh, in local communities who tend to be extremely well supported by uh, older, uh, older, older people. Uh, but we are losing ground. And, and even though uh, online fundraising has grown enormously over the last few years, the amount of dollars that it's bringing in uh, as, as opposed to what was coming from those same younger groups before. And it's a real worry because as, uh, as those groups get older, uh, there's a real fear that they won't give to the same levels that older uh, Ontarians are today. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, CARP's Chief Membership Officer and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Ontario's education minister recently weighed in on the continuing disruptive controversy at Oakville Trafalgar High School, where a teacher comes to work wearing huge prosthetic breasts with the nipples showing through the tops that the individual wears. There have been death threats, bomb threats, and protests from parents who don't think this is appropriate, and students have been warned not to take pictures of this person. Yet members of the Halton School Board have not stepped in, prompting Stephen Lecce to rebuke the board, saying it has failed to uphold educators' professional standards and look after student safety. Our Recovering Politicians panel weighed in on this ongoing story when they joined Libby on Tuesday, filling in for Lisa Raitt, conservative strategist John McEtitian, political consultant and president of Bradgate Research, former Ontario NDP leader Howard Hampton, and former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister and Federal MP Gerard Kennedy. Well, I'm sorry it's looked at that way in the sense of I don't think it should be politics. There's some uh, conflicting standards going on here. One is human rights, uh, gender expression and gender uh, identity are protected under the Ontario Human Rights Code. Uh, The board is an employer uh, and uh, has to look at it in that light. And I don't know, uh, you know, what's actually going on in that classroom. The second part is the obligations of that teacher and every teacher to meet uh, both teaching standards and codes of ethics under the Ontario College of Teachers. So, you know, as I think, um, you know, uh, is anytime someone is a minister, if you're throwing a lightning bolt from your office on the 22nd floor, you'd like to believe that minister has done everything else. They've got field staff, they've got people to talk to at the board, 
there is problem solving involved when you have those kind of issues at play. And I hope that people out there, and I know it's hard for people, especially because that only got in the human rights thing around 2012, that, you know, to understand that there is actually, uh, you know, what not a caricature, but rather a, a real uh, workplace uh, issue here. And obviously it should be resolved in favor of a person's rights and reconciled with with uh, the teaching environment and the learning environment. I don't know what those efforts look like, and I don't know that the minister's comments contribute to that because he's basically giving everyone heck, and I think he has other tools that um, better reflect the situation, but he may have used those. I can't sit in, in judgment from here either. Howard Hampton, do you agree that it's a human rights issue, or is it an issue of uh, professional standards, professional uh, dress, professional presentation? It's both, and that's why this is complicated. And that's why the Minister of Education, you know, offering a, a, uh, uh, from a a mile-on-high opinion isn't helpful. Uh, The teacher, in this case, does have some legal rights. And students uh, and parents have some legal rights, and there are certainly codes of conduct uh, in the classroom. What the uh, minister has done uh, may win him a, you know, a couple of uh, political points with some people, but it's not going to lead to a solution. John, is this uh, uh, what uh, I guess the new leader of the Conservative Party would call woke politics? Uh, it is the height of woke politics. It's the picture, uh, it's the poster uh poster boy, perfect example of what's wrong, and it shows the depth of it. So it's not only a bad decision. What it shows is good people, school board members, elected officials, people who call themselves educators in the professional sense that are all so consumed with making sure they make the, quote, right, unquote, decision that they're afraid to have any common sense whatsoever and do what they should do, which is to say, uh, common sense, this is unacceptable. So now we have a minister stepping in to show common sense. I can't, uh, you know, I, I haven't talked to Stephen about this, but I got to believe that the degree of frustration within the government for uh, allowing this to continue, this is not something that happened last Tuesday. This is something that's been dragging on for months and months. And as we've now heard, the local board has the tools and they haven't taken any action. And uh, people may have an opinion on whether or not there's a human rights uh, angle to this or not by the employee. But the reality is, you know, every day people have different interpretations and beliefs. And what happens is we have a thing called the judicial process. We've got a human rights uh, board that, that gets many, many complaints every day. And most of them don't. Uh, end in the results of the complainant. And that's for a reason. People get it wrong. Filling in for Lisa Raitt, conservative strategist John McEtitian of Bradgate Research, former Ontario NDP leader Howard Hampton, and former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister and Federal MP Gerard Kennedy. Fightback's Recovering Politicians panel. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the phasing out of single-use plastics in Canada is now underway. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. If you haven't already, you will soon see changes at the grocery store or when getting takeout. As of Tuesday, phase one of the single-use plastics ban went into effect and covers grocery checkout bags, cutlery, and some takeout containers, as well as stir sticks and plastic straws. While they cannot be manufactured or imported, they may be sold until the end of next year to give retailers a chance to deplete their inventories. It's estimated this will result in the elimination of over 1.3 million tons of hard-to-recycle plastic waste over 10 years and more than 22,000 tons of plastic pollution. Joining Libby on the day the ban began, Michael Scalgen, Manager of Policy and Program Planning with Toronto Solid Waste Management Services, Tony Ellenis, President and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association, and Michael Zabana, Vice President, Sustainability at the Retail Council of Canada. So it's the single-use plastic checkout bags that will be uh, banned as of uh, banned for sale as of 2023, December 2023. So now we can't manufacture or import them into Canada anymore. Um, the the bags that you're referring to uh, for vegetables will still be available. Tony Ellenis, uh, we've all, I mean, I've already started to see more environmentally friendly takeout containers. I've got to say they seem to be a bit more prone to leaks and things like that. And, and some of the bamboo cutlery that I've seen is kind of hard to use. So what's your take on this? Well, many hospitality have moved forward and embraced the new regulatory practices and are, have either made changes or in the process of, of, of new implementation. Uh, most have adopted these practices to do the support for the environment and even consumer preferences. But the issue in our industry is with the smaller business that unlock the resources and importantly, focusing on keeping the doors open. You know, if we all recall a year ago, even in the first quarter of 2022, we remember Omicron. The industry was still devastated, but the challenges are continuing. Restaurants are paying back loans. They're dealing with a critical workforce issue and labor costs, high inflation, especially in food purchasing, which makes more than 35% of their total expenditures. These are their priorities. If the vast majority of the smaller independent restaurant business are not even aware and not focusing on this. That's the issue. I'd like to bring in Michael Skalgen, and uh, I think I am not the only person that actually reuses these checkout grocery bags. And one of the things I use them for is when we put out the compost, you're allowed to put it in a plastic bag. And if you didn't, the the, uh, animal pest problem would be even worse than it is now. Uh, So when these are phased out, what what are people going to be using or what do you recommend? Yeah, it's a very important question, Libby. I think the 
main piece, we are seeing a big use of the plastic checkout bags for people's uh, compostable organics that they're putting in the green bin. Uh, but of course, we're going to be pushing people to use what's available on the market is purchased in the compostable uh, bags that would go in your kitchen catcher in your home or put in your green bin. So they're all alternatives. I think that we've been um, lucky to be able to give people an opportunity not to have to purchase uh, those bags and simply use what they're getting from the grocery stores. We do have public health guidelines around the uh, use of reusables, and really it's there mostly to help support businesses to know, as you mentioned, Libby, uh, someone might bring in a bag and they want to put their contents in it, and the staff person at the uh, food beverage business might be like, oh, that bag's got some tears in it. So there's sort of two main categories here for public health regulation around this. Is Number one, the, the bag has to be, or the reusable item, needs to be in a good state of, of repair or like not torn. If the staff person sees holes in the bag, they could refuse and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to be giving you this, put that item in that bag. And the other piece is cleanliness. So um, it, it, it's very, sort of much, very much a guideline um, uh, for for businesses uh, that gives them the ability to to refuse an item that they may think is is not in a good state of repair or is not clean. Uh, and so that that's an important piece, uh, at least for the city of Toronto's uh, guidelines. Michael Scalgen, Manager of Policy and Programming with Toronto Solid Waste Management Services. Tony Ellenis, President and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel and Motel Association. And Michael Zabana, Vice President, Sustainability at the Retail Council of Canada. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. During this week before Christmas, we asked the question, how important is religion in your life? A new poll by Research Co. finds the percentage of Canadians who say it's very important to them is actually going up, while the percentage of Americans is dropping. Religion is still less important to us than our American neighbors. 38% of U.S. respondents stated that religion is very important for them personally, while 25% of Canadians said the same. And there is a generational aspect, especially in the U.S., And then there is the category of spirituality. 66% of Americans consider themselves as very spiritual or moderately spiritual. In Canada, 53% of respondents feel the same way. That number seems to be increasing, probably as a replacement for organized religion. Libby talked about the findings with Reverend Michael Corrin, author, contributing columnist for the Toronto Star, and a priest in the Anglican Church of Canada, and Mario Canseco, president at Research Co. The one issue that really surprised me is the drop in the United States. They continue to say that they're more religious, but the numbers are significantly down from 2020. We continue to see fewer than a quarter of Americans uh, uh, who are aged 18 to 34 saying that religion is very important to them. It's very interesting to me as we bring in Michael, because a lot of us baby boomers, we grew up with religion, but uh, a lot of us did not pass it along to our children. Uh, Reverend Corin, thanks for joining us. I didn't grow up with religion, actually. I, I grew up in a pretty secular home, uh, I was going to say respectful of religion, but I'm not even sure if they were, actually. I think they were quite cynical and a bit suspicious. 
Uh, I mean, quite clearly, anyone who has any experience of organized religion today, particularly Christianity, but I think it goes beyond Christianity, can see that uh, there's a generational issue. Older people, I mean, it's, it's not always the way that some of the mega churches are attracting younger people. I'm not sure if that's long lasting or not, but um, the, the, this is not unique to. Uh, 2022. We've seen this throughout history. It's, it's cyclical. People, different things will make people more uh, pious, more religious. War, uh, insecurity, fear, uh, often negative emotions. Uh, but th- this is not confined to Canada. I just come back from the UK, and there was a survey released while I was there, very similar to Canadian numbers actually. And when people say they're spiritual, it's quite interesting because. If you say to someone, are you spiritual? They're very worried about saying no, because they think if they say no, they sound boring and not very deep. So it's, oh, yeah, I'm spiritual. And I'm not sure if that's really thought through or not, because I don't think there's actually much of a difference between spiritual and religious. And I'm rather, I'm in favor of people confusing those two things, because religion is too often thought to be doing one thing in church, for example, on a Sunday, but behaving in another way outside of. And plus, we think of the Christian right in the U.S. and to a degree in Canada. So I see all of this actually is quite healthy. There's more of a level playing field. We have to defend our views. Uh, We have to justify our belief system. And uh, that's a good thing. When you did that survey, did you define spirituality at all? No, we ask them to say whether they would describe themselves that way. And that is where we see more of a gender gap. We have 47% of men in Canada who describe themselves as very or moderately spiritual and 61% of women who feel the same way. So there's definitely more of of a gender gap on that particular question. Where we see the drop, and this is what the Reverend was getting to, uh, which is absolutely true, um, it's about the things that you're supposed to do in nice religion. We have a significant number of Canadians who describe themselves as spiritual or who say that religion is very or moderately important to them, but it drops dramatically when we ask them about church attendance. So there's definitely something there as far as maybe not considering yourself religious if you're not there every Sunday on the pews. What's the good news in your survey? The good news is that people are reconnecting with the world. I was expecting a depression in a way. You know, we're coming off COVID, nothing matters. People are worried about the future. The fact that we are coming back as far as our own spirituality and our, and, and our own religion uh, certainly bodes well for the future. Mario Canseco, president at Research Co., and Reverend Michael Corrin, author, contributing columnist for the Toronto Star, and a priest in the Anglican Church of Canada. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Barry in North York phoned about the ban on single-use plastics. Why can't the regulator say, okay, 
you have to go with biodegradable bags or paper. Both grocery stores that I deal with have that, and the paper bags are very strong because they're double and they have handles, and I reuse them, and I take them back. Every time I go back to that store, I, I use that, that bag until it completely disintegrates. Why can't they just say, instead of single plastic, you have to go with biodegradable bags? Marsha in Toronto called about the teacher who's created controversy by showing up to school with huge prosthetic breasts. Yeah, I don't know if this is necessarily a human rights issue. I think part, a big part of it is dressing appropriately as an educator, as a professional in the classroom, be uh, in front of impressionable teenagers. Yes, teenagers know a lot. They've seen a lot. But I think there's something wrong here when people are not using critical thinking. And I think critical thinking is missing here with this issue. Like, I as a teacher would never go into the classroom with my nipples are showing. And students would not come to the classroom with their nipples showing. I mean, it's black and white regardless of gender expression, what gender you claim to be. Tony and Keswick called during our segment on charitable giving. Hey, you remember when we were kids at school to give the UNICEF boxes and back yeah. in the early 60s and whatnot? And we used to take them home, and my mom used to say, we'll give what we can, and then she always did find something to put in there, and then we went to her. Uh, but now it just seems like we're getting bombarded, you know? It's, like today, I, I, it's only noontime, and I've been to three stores, and, you know, God bless them, they're trying to do their best. And, you know, when you have to tell and they ask you, uh, would you like to donate? Uh, I know, hate that. Uh, Exactly. And I felt like a Trump. And then <laughs> at Sobeys, you know, give me a plug, there were the kids outside with hockey, right? <laughs> you know, to buy stuff for their hockey thing, and it goes towards their tournament. And the parents are going, where does it stop? And I could just, I kind of wash my nickel and dimes here sometimes, you know? So God bless them. They all mean well. They're doing a great job out there. But I hate when they ask you, though. Pat in Toronto phoned during our segment on complaints about the Canada Revenue Agency. I'm a tax accountant. I've been in the business for 49 years. And um, my best uh, long response was two years to get a response. And I had one just last week where they said it would be 15 weeks before we would get a response on a very simple issue. But people, please don't bark at the workers at CRA. It's not their problem. It's the problem of the mandarins up above them who don't give them enough staff, etc. And um, it's very sad. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Jim in Pickering, who phoned during our segment on religion. I consider myself uh, identify as a secular idealist. So, in other words, uh, I obey all the laws and respect everything and everybody and any color, any creed. And, you know, if I go out, and what that also means in, in practice, if I go out my front door today, which I will, and I see somebody in need of help, I will help him. And I think that religion is going, getting back to being tribal, and it's very divisive, too. So you can identify as this or that, but whoever made uh, one made the other, right? So we're arguing, you know, about our gods and, and all that, or our truths, but, but Libby, I think we just have to be a little more practical, and, you know, I don't know. I, I just think that uh, we're, not, we're getting away from that. 
That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Tomorrow, we take a break from the news for Christmas. And I wish you and your loved ones a very Merry Christmas. And then please join me on Monday and Tuesday for a look back at the year that was 2022. Best of Fight Back 2022 Parts 1 and 2 after the noon news on Monday and Tuesday. The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.